0: I hope so. Catherine Martin will be carrying Paul Mescal aloft on her shoulders um, as he takes home the best actor.
1: Hello, and you're very welcome to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined from the other end of various internet connectivity solutions by news correspondent Richard Chambers. Richard, hello. Gav, how are you? And from the wild, wild west coast of the United States by <laughs> news correspondent Zara King. Zara, hello.
2: Hi, guys, how are you?
1: I don't know if our listeners got to see the opening titles from the news at 5.30 on Thursday evening when we recorded this. But uh, the contrast between the weather where Richard was and the weather where Zara was really could not have been more striking. (laughs) Um, Zara, for people who haven't seen it or haven't seen the news this week, um, you might bring our listeners up to speed as to where you are and what you're doing right now.
2: So I am in Los Angeles at the moment. We are here to cover uh, Oscars week. Sorry, I will say I did feel quite bad actually coming up straight after the lads doing the weather story on the 5.30 this evening. That was a bit of a stark contrast. All right. Um, We're in LA, myself and Mark Armstrong, my cameraman. We're here to cover the run up to Oscars week because as we know, Ireland has 14 nominations this year. So um, really exciting times. I suppose, look, 14 nominations. We've kind of had this figure around for a couple of weeks now and maybe people have become a little bit you know blase about it but actually it's quite significant that ireland is doing so well on such a huge global stage so um yeah it's been a busy week since we got here um dealing with all the different time zones and everything but yeah it's been good we're enjoying it
1: um talk us through exactly what you've been doing because you at the time that we're recording this you've been on the ground about like 32 hours so what have you been doing so far and what's actually going on for the rest of the week
2: so, the main thing that's coming up uh, for us in the next couple of hours is the Oscar Wilde Awards. So, this is a major kind of pre Oscars Irish event. It has a green carpet that is rolled out. And at that ceremony tonight, they're going to be honouring a number of people, including Kerry Condon from Banshees of and Jesse Buckley, and Eve Hewson. Um, so, people might remember Eve Hewson from Bad Sisters at uh, the Apple TV series. So, um, it's going to be a big night. They're also giving out a special award to Colleen Kuhn, the Irish language film nominator for the Oscar. And that's going to be handed out by. By the Minister Catherine Martin so the Oscar Wilde is definitely like the big big Irish event and actually just overnight here in LA it was confirmed that Paul Mescal is going to attend that now tonight he's going to walk the green carpet but it's just it's so busy Gavin in a lot of ways like Barry Keoghan I'm told isn't going to come to the event because he just purely has so many other things to attend this week um you know there's just so many different events and um parties I guess and things like that happening this week that it's it's a really really busy time so um but yes yeah, so the big one for us is going to be the Oscar Wilde the Cronas are playing at it actually
1: uh, kind of stunned into silence, really, by that mention of the coronavirus.
2: Yes. <laughs> I didn't expect that to come at all. Can, can I admit to, by the way, that I was yesterday
1: days old before I realised the pun in the Oscar Wilde's that I just totally did not get the double meaning of Oscar in that name.
0: Yeah, I only got that only like um, about a week ago. I was like, oh wait, that's. That's pretty clever. Well done, us. Oh. Yeah,
1: like it's a sparkly that? word. Like... <laughs> no, it, I didn't. It wasn't immediately obvious to me. No, just because... Okay. I thought
0: it was genuinely just a reference to Oscar Wilde being, you know, a great Irish artiste. I didn't really get yeah the Same. Oscar's overlap. Yeah. This is like the time I didn't realise the happy
1: pair was, uh, was a pun as well. Oh, I remember like when the penny dropped on that one and just oh. being kind of stunned at like the, the double meaning of that one. Um, <laughs> Zara, we're going we're to be talking a lot next week probably about how... Um, Ireland is very good at piggybacking on stuff um, to try and like sort yes. of spread the annual message. Um, this year, more than ever, just because of the incredible Hall of Nominations, it's really a week for Ireland to really put the foot to the floor and try and just flog itself, isn't it?
2: Yeah, do you know what, actually? I was really um, fascinated yesterday. We went to a briefing at the consulate just here in LA and they were telling us Green Ireland were part of that briefing. And they were actually telling us that... Um, these kind of meetings, like you would think, oh, you know, ministers go away overseas or whatever, but that they actually are quite substantial, these trade missions, particularly around Paddy's Day. So Screen Ireland were actually telling us that there was a visit of Leo Varadkar to L.A. back in September of 2019, where he met with uh, Disney executives. And they talk about the fact that that visit was actually so significant that Disney have gone on since to film three different projects in Ireland since 2019. So obviously people remember Enchanted was filmed, um was it down in Wicklow? Yeah, it was in Enniscary. In scary. Um, yeah. In Enniscary, yeah, yeah, in Enniscary. So like basically that they're saying that these kind of like pressing the flesh, like face to face meetings are so important. And actually today Catherine Martin was attending an event at the IMAX headquarters here where she was um, <laughs> meeting with kind of travel agents and, and people working in the tourism industry just in terms of kind of reiterating Ireland is a great place to visit. And like they were telling us that American tourism is worth 1.6 billion euro to Ireland every year and that the highest number of American tourists actually came to Ireland just before the pandemic in 2019. So I suppose kind of there's a mixture of, of attracting um, business in terms of the movie industry industry. industry and Ireland being a great place to film movies and movies that end up getting Oscar nominations which is obviously you know hugely impressive but also that tourism aspect of it as well there's a great uh, grow on relationship between the Americans and the Irish and Gav you'll have more of that probably next week when you go to Washington but yeah there's definitely a lot of business being done here this week
0: The, the one thing about it there was there has been some like public sort of um eye roll and obviously there always is when it comes to the sort of St. Patrick's Day thing um, mm. there is a danger for I think I think that absolutely the links between Ireland and Hollywood are absolutely like huge now and I think that the significance of what has been actually achieved by the by these Irish productions and Irish actors and Irish talent um, across the board for this Oscars really points to you know a thriving film sector. Mm. There's a there's a there's a part of me deep down that when I see government ministers flying out for the Oscars that feels very Charlie Ahhi Stephen Ro- Stephen Roach and the Champs Elysees for um for for you know winning the Tour de France. Um, but I look, it's it's going to be huge over there Zara I think for the next few days. I think the hype. Uh, really around the Oscars is like, I it's been interesting to see like the amount of different media organisations even from Ireland who have gone over this this year for this given the amount of nominations oh, yeah. that are there. Um, like yeah. normally, I think Oscar night can actually wash over us fairly quickly. Um, like I mean, if you went back even two or three years, I don't know if we 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 re- recognise or remember everyone who was, you know, or we even won, what, what even won on the night. Uh, but I think when it is so many of our own and so many amazing talents. You mentioned Barry Paul. Colin Farrell, Kerry Condon, and Colleen Quinn as a production is just something which has just mesmerised so many people, um, that there really is an all-of-nation behind this sort of thing really going on, which, you know, you see it sometimes in sport whenever there's, like, a World Cup on or something like that. But there's an element of that sort of feeling that almost that Italian ninety that, you know, um, everyone is, is, is invested <laughs> in this for for something which is cultural and artistic, which is which is really unique, I think.
2: Definitely. And even, you know, when you looked at the footage, Cleona Russell, our colleague, was at the Dublin airport yesterday, you know, waving off sort of the Colleen Kuhn cast and Paul moment dad. Like, I don't know if anyone follows Paul Meskel's mom on Instagram. She's absolutely brilliant on Instagram. Highly recommend her for a follow. Love her. She's just brilliant and she's so like she's so excited that following her stories and seeing the Oscars through the eyes of Paul mescal's mom has actually been glorious like it's just so lovely to see it and um, and his dad is here and his sister and they're just really really enjoying it and like that we just left Carrie Crowley who's obviously the star of on Colleen Kuhn or one of the stars of on Colleen Kuhn we just did a piece through there for the news at seven and Carrie's from Waterford like she's from where I'm from and just like such excitement she's like you know who would have thought that you know you'd come from Waterford and be here like I met her outside a hotel in Beverly Hills and she's just like what are we Doing here, you know, it's just honestly so lovely. And like we both worked, uh, I knew her from Radio and Waterford back in the day, and we had uh, mutual friends. And she was like, one of our mutual friends actually died a couple of years ago. And she said, if only he could see us standing here now in Be- Beverly Hills, just two girls from Waterford, kind of covering the Oscars, and and her about to walk the red carpet at the Oscars, is just honestly so um like so surreal, but so amazing and such a huge achievement. And I think like going back to what I said at the start, though, as well, I just think that um you're probably right, Richard, in a sense that actually maybe and the Oscars kind of had probably washed over us for a couple of years. And there's definitely concerns from from the Oscars themselves, about the viewing numbers dropping over the last couple of years, you know? Yeah. And then like last year, we on the podcast talked about the, the Will Smith moment now kind of consigned to Oscars history that in some ways, like, organisers of the event are certainly kind of hoping that maybe this laugh has piqued the interest in the Oscars again and that maybe people will tune in to see what drama goes down. Mm. Out. The, the
0: one thing I kind of wanted to, to know, because there's been so much, there's so much horse trading around the Oscars, and we even talked about it with Jim Sheridan a few few weeks back, um, like, people will see who the runners and riders and the favourites are, and everything everywhere all at once seems to be the favourite for, you know, best picture and the main acting categories, but upsets happen. Is there a feeling if, you know, we're, if we're going to have a win or a couple of wins amongst those who've travelled, is there a feeling mm. about where those might come from?
2: Yeah. So I suppose, look, if we're honest about it, while we have 14 nominations, you're right. Like we are kind of going into the night itself as underdogs in a lot of ways. Um, and a lot of the kind of big publications here in L.A., you know, the Hollywood Reporter and the likes of the, you know, L.A. Times and stuff, they're all kind of publishing their predictions and you know, the Irish nominations aren't really probably landing in the winning spots in a lot of those. Um, the LA Times does reckon that Colin Farrell has a good chance of Best Actor. Um, so that's an interesting one. But I mean, in general, there's not a huge you're right I think everything everywhere all at once is obviously the one to watch but look what I would say as well is another conversation that came up yesterday with someone I was talking to here they were saying the Academy has a lot of younger members now as well and that the voters those younger voters are probably less inclined to throw the kitchen sink at one movie like to give everything to one movie that actually is a bit more of a sentiment of spreading the love and spreading the wealth a little bit amongst those younger Academy voters um, so that might be interesting to see does that change because obviously the Academy was criticised for years about the lack of diversity and and even you know gender balance and everything in terms of the voters so I mean even that slight change to the voting members um, over the last couple of years it'll be interesting to see does that reflect in what way the winning and losing goes on the night
1: Mm. Um, so you're obviously then not too optimistic that we're going to have uh, like Charlie Hohe on the, the Champs-Élysées or Shane Ross at <laughs> Dublin Airport with uh, well, with, with I hope Catherine so. Martin
0: will be carrying Paul Meskel aloft on her shoulders um, as he takes home the best, Oscar, the best actor that's my, my, my tip this is my, my only feeling about the Oscars in terms of ho- how I think it goes because Paul Mescal was initially it wasn't thought that he'd sneak in to the best actor nominations there was a bit of a sort of a late momentum there as much as you can mm. for a nomination campaign. I have a feeling. I have. A, I've, I've, I don't know what it is. I have a sneaking suspicion he's our best hope in an acting category. I don't know what it is. I just have that this gut feeling that I think that enough people have since the the. the you know, since since you know the the award season yeah. has begun, that enough see, people have come around to see After Sun, which is absolutely incredible. And there's enough of a feeling that this lad star is on the rise that there could just mm. be a little bit of an upset there. At least I'm hoping for it, anyway. At least I'm hoping for
2: it. I would share your hope your hope for it. But what I would be, if I was honest with you, I would say that nobody's mentioning Paul meskel's name, unfortunately, in the context of that win. Like you know, the, the Colin Farrell thing came up, and then Barry Kogan. A lot of the I listened to a couple of the podcasts. A lot of the you know the entertainment reporters here do podcasts. I listened to a couple of those last couple of days, and again like. Barry Kogan is one that everyone just everyone seems to really like Barry Kogan and they really want, want um him to do really well. But I think that just across the board, I think Paul Mescal's name just hasn't really come up from certainly the people that I've been speaking to here in LA, which is obviously disappointing.
1: Yeah. What I was gonna say was that I, I really do hope that um on Colleen Kewen might sort of land a punch and that it's it's very much up against it against um All Quiet on the Western Front for the best um international stroke non-English mm. film. But there is also a reasonable chance if the BAFTAs are anything to go by that All Quiet on the Western Front could could maybe be in with a shout for Best Picture and maybe if the Academy was voting for a foreign language film for Best Picture maybe then they might spread the love when it comes to the international ones so um, we, we live in hope uh, we'll be following all of your, your updates uh, throughout the long weekend and well into next week um, on Virgin Media News mm-hmm. Zara um, I mentioned at the start that the uh, the climate in the live shots uh, for this evening's News at 5.30 <laughs> really couldn't have been more striking because Zara was there in the Hollywood Hills with this wonderful sunshine bathed in this magnificent glow uh, and on the other side of the screen was Richard Chambers in deepest darpest county leash um, wearing what did you, I think you described it on Instagram, Richard? As the um, is it the the apple green autumn? Five-year-old
0: petrol station hat, which I got on the way down.
1: <laughs> so, um, which
0: I, I was like, I've never actually worn a hat on telly before. Uh, which I often, and I, I did, I did, I did get today. I got some colleagues from RTE who texted me actually after the twelve thirty saying, "Would you not wear a scarf?" And I'm like. For love of God, I've literally progressed to wearing a, a hat when it's snowing on air. So, like, I mean, give me give me credit for that.
2: You have some nice. You have some nice scarves, though. I, you do have a nice selection of scarves.
0: Yeah, I, I was wearing it was base base layers and two jackets uh, is what I had on mm. um, today. Um, so yeah, like I mean, there is a huge contrast there between what we're covering. We're going from LA to LA each. That's it. Describing it, but um, yeah, snow snow is back on the agenda. I was we actually I think we only had this conversation only a couple of weeks ago off air. Um, that we were sort of remarking that it was a very mild winter, mm. um, that we didn't really have any of those named storms as such. Like December, we had, we had a lot of sub-zero, but there wasn't really any sort of major storms or any sort of major weather systems that had any sort of, you know, big impact. And now at the tail end of the whole season of it, uh, we're having snow, which actually does traditionally seem to fall in March for us. You know, people remember. The well, this is the it that like it's
1: literally this week is the anniversary of the Beast in the East and, and yeah. Storm Emma, but also um, it also now suddenly strikes me that we haven't had to do any marathon weather specials really this side of COVID. Mm. That we like we kind of haven't done that kind of rolling coverage all afternoon kind of thing actually, for, yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah, we've we got terribly out of the habit
0: yeah so this is um this has turned into something which is quite significant i mean it's only i mean uh, only um it's yellow and orange warnings across the country but the way that it's actually going to fall and by the time people listen to this people will be impacted on it. a lot of people will be off school some people will be off work uh, a significant number of schools will be across across the country will be closed on Friday because of all of this. And um, just because the timing of it is going to work out that the worst of it is going to be in commuter time. Um, but even today, like some of the pictures from um, from Claire and Limerick. Um, I just, I mean, we, we, at some point we'll get somebody from Medair and on uh, to talk about weather systems and all that sort of stuff in mm-hmm. an interesting way. But the way that weather stops sometimes uh, around the corner, like we were driving, myself and Martin Rigney, we were driving, who is of course from Offaly himself, so we were driving down his neck of the woods uh, and we pulled up to our first place, which was just outside Tullamore. And literally not, not a drop of snow, not a hint of snow anywhere, then five minutes up the hill uh, towards, you know, um, the Leash Offley border place absolutely covered uh, in, 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 you know, hick accumulations as, as the terminology goes. So Ireland are very changeable in terms of, you know, how many different weather patterns you get over the course of a day, but also how many different weather patterns you get within a postcode. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, people, I hope people, you know, wrap up well for it and people do stay safe for it because um, even coming home, I, came, I was racing back tonight to sort of um, get in position to record this uh, and it
1: was um, fairly chaotic, I would say. Uh, the thing about the weather being very precise around corners um, was never better highlighted than in the Met Air and uh, weather warnings map today because, again, people were wondering what is it about partition that causes weather to be so much milder uh, in, the, in the northeastern six counties than it is anywhere else? <laughs> uh, but also, Zara, a lot of people pointing out uh, that clearly Mother Nature is going to decide who actually controls Ferrybank Bank and Mount Misery. Is it Kilkenny and is it Waterford? Because Kilkenny <laughs> is orange and Waterford is yellow. And if it's a bad night of weather, that means it's truly Kilkenny
2: this is outrageous this is an absolute this is outrageous i mean this is the people of my county will be very annoyed about this uh,
1: we will find out tomorrow morning uh by the time this drops people will know whether mother nature has spoken on that age-old uh, dispute by the way sir i meant to ask uh, when you were uh, on your way over to la um very briefly before we sort of move on to the, the the kind of heavier stuff um how do you pass was it 10 10 and a half hours on a plane what's your your, your way of getting yourself through that much time in a tin can
2: Oh, yeah. So I was actually a bit I was a bit anxious, to be honest, about the amount of time that we were going to spend on the flight because we had we flew through Heathrow. So um, like it was an hour on the, that flight and then it was eleven and a half hours then after that. So it was twelve and a half hours on a flight. um. Gosh. Well both of you know I'm quite chatty. <laughs> so like I was always gonna engage the person beside me, God love them. But actually the man beside me on the flight was so lovely and um actually he's taken my name and email address now, so he may end up listening to this podcast. I don't know, he's very nice. So um he actually ended up being more chatty than me to be honest. <laughs> he kind of started talking to That's me and then I thought something Jesus That's a we, threshold. We are well met. Yeah, we are well met, me and this man. So we, I ended up actually, I befriended the man beside me and we ended up having a great old time and um, he actually works in the health and beauty industry and we just, it was, uh, we had a great chat. So that was lovely. So it was nice to have someone to talk to kind of beside me because Mark, my cameraman, um, wasn't sitting beside me. I don't know if he deliberately do that or what was the story. But, um, so <laughs> he knows we, how chatty you well, are I had had for 12 hours of, at
1: a time. He just chose to absent himself he does. strategically.
2: It, he does and I think eight days in LA with me would probably be enough but um so yeah that bit of that I actually watched um Colin Kuhn and I watched Banshees on the flight as well I watched both of them again because um I just wanted to watch them again I suppose to be fresh in my mind as I got here like I did start bawling crying at the end of on Colin Kuhn in front of all my fellow passengers on the flight which was a little bit embarrassing but I know it was fine um but yeah I watched movies I slept a bit as well like I slept for about two hours I'd say and then um listened to what should I listen to? Kind of audiobooks and podcasts and yeah, it was grand to be honest. I met Mark down the back for a cup of tea and a few biscuits kind of halfway through the flight. <laughs> so I mean it, it like it did I wouldn't say it flew by now by any means. I mean it's quite laborious. It's a long stint. How long is your flight next week?
1: My flight next week to DC is seven hours. Uh but actually I have no idea at this point whether I'll be sitting beside or anywhere near um, Joni, the, the camera operator who's following me um, to be honest again four days in my company over there and they're pretty hectic days I will fully understand if she just chooses to, to sit elsewhere because it's, it's a long <laughs> Um if Zara's uh, next door passenger is listening uh, to the podcast hello uh, we hope you're well uh, we hope that the his name is Alexander
2: Alexander so he's really nice hi Alexander uh, Alexander so
1: drop us a line and, and tell us well, how actually you're doing I tell you, is going well. I
2: will tell you one thing actually now that we're, we're talking about the travel there's a lot to be said for pre-clearance at Dublin Airport and flying direct because when we got here, the queue for um, border patrol was an hour and a half. So you get off like what is essentially a 12 and a half hour of traveling flight and then stand in a queue for an hour and a half was absolutely shocking. So like pre-clearance in Dublin Airport is really like a blessing in disguise in so many ways.
1: Looking forward to indulging in that one uh, a little bit next week. (laughs) Uh, Back domestically in a non-Oscars, non-weather front, the big story of the week has probably been the decision taken by the government to... Um, allow the current moratorium on no-fault evictions to lapse at the end of March. Uh, By the government's own admission, it doesn't know how many tenancies will now basically abruptly end uh, in the weeks after uh, the 1st of April. Uh, But it's looking like a pretty big deal. And Richard, you've been following this, as I have, in Leinster House in the last couple of days. And like leaders' questions can get a bit catty and a bit kind of stroppy sometimes. But um, I, I haven't known it to be quite as vociferous as it's been for the last couple of days.
0: Yeah, and I think that's actually almost been disappointing in a way. It, it, in some ways, it reflects a lot of anger that is there about this, which is going to be perhaps the most consequential decision that this government will take. Probably also, I don't think there's any doubt about it, probably the most controversial decision the government will take in its tenure as well to end the evictions ban, something which the Taoiseach and the Housing Minister have both admitted will lead to a spike in in people becoming homeless. Um, I think given how bad and how long we've been in a housing crisis, we've been covering housing crisis in Ireland for pff, at least five years, six, seven years, potentially even as well, mm. for a government to admit that it has done something which will increase homelessness in the short term is pretty shocking. Um, Leo Varadkar, you'll have been covering it as well, The uh, at the Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting, um, using that as the platform to say that Ireland has a 250,000 home shortage. Some would be like, why is the Taoiseach saying this at a private meeting as opposed to fronting up and uh, talking about this in public? Because that's the first time we heard that Mm. specific figure. Yeah,
1: and also talking about it in Mm. the abstract as well, as if it was a shortage that has kind of just naturally organically occurred rather than, you know, being a thing that occurred under his government's tenure.
0: Yeah, and this is something it'd be worth picking your brain on as well, is that there's some, some level of this has become this political point scoring thing or this sort of thing where, you know, It just becomes this a a talking point as opposed to this real life thing. There will be a lot of people handed notices to quit over the next while there is a shortage of places for people to move into you have already had as pierce doherty of shin fein uh, highlighted in the doll on thursday um, had a situations where you know families may have to present themselves to guard stations um there is cold hard facts there is a real real problem here in this country which is going to take a long time to unspool and yet at, at the end of the day sometimes this becomes a talk about numbers. And I just don't know how it's gotten to that point. Maybe that's because of you know maybe politicians to some degree have become desensitized to to to, to the scale or the length of this. They'll obviously deny that, and I would obviously offer offer them their right to reply on that. Mm. But it just yeah. feels, some ways, that it you know it becomes this political issue, as opposed to the human one.
1: Yeah, and that they kind of very much view it in the abstract sometimes. And I can imagine that if you're taking this kind of long-term view, like if you're a Dara O'Brien and you're um, coming up to three years into a job that you're going to have for close to five years, maybe like t- to get through the day, you kind of have to take this abstract view. What can I do to get the overall aggregate number down? And and that's the, the rationale that the government has taken for knowingly doing something which in the short term is going to bring that number up. But they would say that if we left it in there for longer then the release when we let it go inevitably would be that much bigger so they say that this is like the the lesser evil or or the least worst scenario if you like um but yeah it's like it's going to be a very very difficult sell to try and convince people who are going to find themselves um, out in the rear in three weeks uh, and finding it next to impossible to try and find anywhere let alone anywhere affordable literally even just trying Mm -hmm. to find a vacancy in the current climate which is going to be just abominably difficult and one thing which makes all of this so difficult for the government to sell as well is the very fact that it's selling this idea, like this idea that, okay, we're now going to allow evictions to resume again, so that's the stick but they're talking about the carrot of some increased rights for tenants in future. So, for example, if you are a tenant and the house that you live in is being sold, uh, in future you will have the legal right to have first refusal on whether you buy it and move in. Now, that sounds nice on the face of it, but A, of course, it will take months to actually legislate for, so the damage comes in before the cure. Uh, And B, if you already had the money to consider putting together the amount of money to buy the house, wouldn't you already be in the property market and trying to look yeah. for a home anyway? Wouldn't you have bought before now? You wouldn't be waiting for your own current tenancy to come up for public that purchase. That feels next uh, to useless uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a measure. And I know that
0: several people around the Cabinet table weren't exactly happy with Daryl O'Brien and how all this, you know, the, the lack of an extension of this came about. I think that's a feeling a lot of people around Cabinet have as well. So people within government think that that is almost some sort of, um, you know, it, 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 it's it's a bit of a red herring. It's a bit of a tokenistic thing almost.
1: Yeah, and that there's one other thing that they're offering to do is to try to, as an olive branch to try and uh, make things a little bit easier, which is that um, inf- they've now dramatically increased the funding available to local authorities so that if your home is being sold and they assess that you are at genuine risk of homelessness, that if you basically have no other prospect of being able to afford a home in the market, um, that local authorities will now more aggressively buy that home. So that they will buy the house, they will become your landlord and it effectively becomes social housing. Now, again, on the face of it, but that how does kind that
2: actually? Yeah, how does that actually work, though, Gavin? Like, is that not just going to drive up house prices? um It will to a point.
1: um It could also arguably drag it down because if the state is the the actor, that maybe it's not looking to sort of compete for house prices quite as much. So you don't really know what it's going to do for the overall market. But the the major concern, one of the major concerns people will have about it, is that they will have seen us and other outlets reporting in the last couple of months about the amount of unspent cash in the housing budget that you continually look at the social housing budget the construction and purchasing budget uh, which is assigned every year which local authorities have found themselves unable to spend now nobody can give you a satisfactory answer as to whether that's because of bureaucracy or whether it's because there's some hold up at central government level is it because of inactivity at local level or what exactly is the hold up but the truth is that councils are not already spending the housing budget that they've been given so the idea that empowering them to buy a house uh, and to become the new landlord um, doesn't seem like the panacea that it's really going to be and all of this is quite interesting because uh, the Dáil is going into recess next week because all the ministers are going all over the world for St Patrick's Day but the week after that Sinn Féin have promised to call some sort of a vote whether it's a non-binding motion or an actual bill on trying to again extend uh, the evictions ban and there's a reasonable prospect of some of the government backbenchers not being able to toe the line on that so we've already had Nasa Harrigan and Patrick Costello from the Green Party, two people who have voted against the government before, already making clear that they are pretty unhappy with the balance between carrot and stick, as far as this goes, uh, and looking for something a little bit more. And I did very cynically, um, I I was very, very cynically minded when I saw the news coming from government that they might look at, for example, uh, changing the tax rules so that if you are a landlord and you're selling your house, you might face a smaller tax bill if you sell it to the local authority or an approved housing body or an appropriate charity. Mm. Um, now that's it's all well and good on the face of it, but why propose it this week? Well, one of the reasons you'd promote you'd propose it this week is because Nasa Harrigan demanded measures like exactly that uh, when she decided to publicly break ranks from the government uh, last Tuesday morning. So if if it takes uh, a government backbencher. Threatening to jump ship altogether. If that's what it takes to make a, ta- a change in tax law over a topic which has been contemplated for years with no success or no uh, break in the impasse between Fidigel and Fina Fale, I think we all have the right to be a tad cynical about exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think um, a lot of people, it has happened multiple times now before. You mentioned some of the green TDs where they've marched all the way up to the top of the hill and then very quietly marched back down again. Um, NASA Harrigan um, over the last couple of days tweeting yikes about you know some of the defences of ending the eviction ban put forward by the government. Um, I think that there's a very real risk of a political backlash for her if she actually does go ahead and vote for this, no matter what the sort of incentives or, or, or added you know um, initiatives as part of this are, because she has been so vocal about it, um, and because it is an issue which really does affect her constituency. Almost more than any other constituency in the country. For her then to go and support this, that's going to be difficult for her politically. Um, and I think that people will, you know, again, maybe it's a cynical view, maybe it's a realistic view, will say, well, you can make all the tweets and all of the, you know, do all the interviews about this you want. But if you just abstain or you just, you know, go along with this quietly in the end after all that, well, you know, to hell with you with that one. Yeah. That's, that's really a potential yeah. backlash.
1: And people are right to be kind of cynical about it because uh, people may remember a couple of weeks ago the instance, the, the embarrassing instance where a government bill uh, or the, uh, an opposition bill about the evictions ban passed by accident because the government basically forgot to oppose it and they like forgot to call a vote and it kind mm-hmm. of went through on the nod. Well, it now transpires, of course, that the convenient uh, result of that was that government backbenchers were denied an opportunity to uh, jump ship. And cross the aisle because they would have been given an opportunity to vote for an extension to the evictions ban right there and then except the government magically forgot to call a vote um but people right would be right to be a little suspicious and certainly if after all the the rhetoric of the last couple of weeks um if there aren't either a some major change of heart uh, on the government side or b some defections then they're they're kind of going to wonder what would all the the hysteria is for um side note of trivia by the way um Darrow o'brien the housing minister is um, He is leaving the country for St. Patrick's Day, as almost every other minister is. Uh, there have been calls for him to stay behind to work more on providing emergency accommodation for those who are going to find themselves in trouble in a couple of weeks. Um, but he is going to Savannah in Georgia, uh, which has the second biggest annual St. Patrick's Day parade in the world after Dublin. It's bigger than New York. Savannah in no, Georgia, oh, a place that uh, not
0: many people it's, would it's, ever... No, it's the second biggest one of the States behind New York. We were actually there, we did this um, when we were over there for the States during um, the, the uh, midterms. That's what they
1: advertised as the second biggest in the States behind New York. Okay, I, I certainly remember being, being at Atlanta before and them talking about Savannah being second biggest in the world. Maybe New York is overcoming in the meantime. But that, that wasn't the Gav doing Gav things. The real trivia is that 60% of people in the city of Savannah uh, can claim some ancestry in County Wexford. What? And I think that that's just nuts that so many people in such a a, a cosmopolitan area uh, so far from home would all be able to claim links to to the sunny southeast mm. uh but there you go that is my, my token gav doing gav things um zara were you worried uh when you were trying to take off from either dublin or heathrow mm. that some drones might get in the way and throw your whole plans awry
2: yeah we were a bit worried actually because we didn't have much time uh, just in terms of the connecting flight we only had i think like an hour and a half or something so there was a little bit of a like oh if the drones are flying and we miss this flight to london that really does scupper the la plans it thankfully didn't happen but yeah it definitely was a concern beforehand for sure
1: Uh, Richard, you have been, um, before the weather turned, obviously, you've been spending some of your time uh, out in the airport this week uh, and covering the whole affair of what exactly we are going to be doing about the problem of the drones at the airport. Yeah,
0: I I think we've put it a couple of times in this podcast before that, you know, if Dublin Airport is the front door of the nation, that it's been banging off the hinges for various reasons uh, in recent years. Uh, And once again, it has found itself having the door kicked in uh, by nerds operating drones. Can
1: we, can we say um, that? So why, is that it, been, why is it nerds? It, doesn't, it isn't necessarily nerds. Well, well,
0: I mean, I don't know who it is, people who operate drones. Um, so this has been a problem. It has happened six times now the flights have been interrupted at um, Dublin airport as a result of drone activity within five kilometers of the airport. So that's an exclusion zone. Shouldn't be flying drones in it. Um, and there's been huge frustration because this really doesn't happen anywhere else on this scale. Anywhere in Europe. Obviously, it happened before in, um, in, in, in Gatwick Airport. I think it was like five or six years ago, um, but not anywhere since then. So, Dublin Airport has had to put the push on the government to try and come up with a solution to this. The solution is we'll buy the same technology that everybody else has. There's been a back and forth about it. Michael O'Leary from Ryanair was saying that Eamon Ryan should resign because of the failure to actually tackle this promptly. And sort of seeing, oh, well, look, it's happened four times. Let's see what happens five or six times. <laughs> um, but uh, eventually now there is a solution which is due in place. Bit of a problem with it, though. It's not going to be in place for St. Patrick's Day, which is when you're going to have a huge amount of traffic in and out um, yeah. of the country. Yeah. So uh, not, not exactly solved for when you were, you're flying out, mm-hmm. Gavin, or when you're flying back in, Zara. Um, but the hope is that um, that expected visit of Joe Biden to Ireland, um, that it'll be in place for that which is, you know, all a bit of a fingers crossed and mm. we'll see how we go sort of solution.
1: Um, it's a slightly disconcertingly kind of uh, fingers crossed solution as well. But um, if Joe Biden is coming and all the suspicion is, and we might talk about this in more detail next week, that he's coming at the tail end of April, it seems unlikely that it will be up and running by then as well, because if you just think about the practicalities of getting it all up and running, Richard, you're talking about um, having the procurement and everyone knows how public procurement isn't exactly the quickest thing in the world. Um, so you have to go looking for, for a supplier and they need to go and install it and then you have to go and look at training people and how it's all going to be deployed. Like that, that does seem like a, a months rather than weeks situation to borrow him and Ryan's words.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the counterpoint to it which DAA and the airlines have been saying is that this this isn't this may, might be, you know, aeronautical science but it isn't rocket science uh in terms of the the actual technology <laughs> that <laughs> it basically just sends out an L signal and basically will drop drones out of the sky. Um but some people were saying and raising the point with me as well that like for all the with all the the the, the goodwill in the world um some very basic, you know, little sort of rotocopter things you can get um, might not actually be workable. They might not pick up this signal and um, that they might be too low tech for it. And that might still cause problems. But um, there, is, there is confidence that this can be done quickly. But Dublin Airport are a bit miffed that the government has sort of put it onto them to sort of get this in place and run it. Because obviously this is, a, this is a, I mean, it is really, it's a statewide issue. Like this is going to be an issue at other airports as well. Or we should have this in place to stop flights being interrupted and it'll be an interest it'll be a worthwhile thing to have over sensitive sites and you know crucial infrastructure like power plants and all that sort of stuff as well um but the responsibility for this in the meantime is just purely going to be on daa um as opposed to being a government thing so the government is going to look at this long term as to how they're going to run it under a state agency but not now for now this is a sticking plaster solution daa Go get your technology, go run it yourself and hopefully that will put a stop to things. But if it doesn't put a stop to things, if over the next couple of weeks this continues to happen, I would imagine there is going to be hell to pay and there will be more calls for Eamon Ryan to resign.
1: Well, can you imagine the drama if, um, like, Air Force One is suddenly made to circle overhead? Like, imagine Air Force One and the, the US Air Force jets that will be accompanying it, that they'd be pretty good at taking down anything, including, mm. like, a supermarket quadcopter. But could you imagine if Air Force One, Zara, or, like, uh, Barry Kogan or Colin Farrell uh, are coming back with an Oscar, and we're waiting to have this Italian 90 moment where they appear at the top of the, the runway and they and they come out from the stairs like, like Katie Taylor from London 2012, <laughs> like with this lovely bit of gold and, and no one's able to get hold of them because of how long the thing has been delayed by a drone.
2: I mean, suboptimal would be an understatement. But, like, it's just... I mean, it's kind of mad, isn't it, when you think about it, that these tiny little drones have managed to cause so much chaos. It really is, um, like, it is kind of shocking and embarrassing. But it, it's disappointing, really, Richard, as you say there, that, that the speed at which we can't just get this sorted. Like, it, it just feels like such a big, pressing matter. I don't know why, you know, why not just get this dealt with as, as rapidly as possible?
1: I also remember there being a uh, a drone sighting that disrupted stuff in the airport, I think, as, as far back as 2019. Mm. And you'd you'd think that, like, that was around the time that Gatwick was getting done and Gatwick just acted to stop it happening again. And you'd wonder why we didn't.
0: Yeah, the Pilots Union, the Pilots Association actually said that they raised this as an issue with the Department of Defence here back in 2017, uh, which is an awful long time ago, um, without any Mm. action on it at at all. Um, So, I mean somewhere along the line, there's definitely been a sort of, a ah, this will be fine, this won't happen sort of thing. Or maybe there was more pressing matters and this just got left on the wayside. But it's not good because this is, you know, this is our main connectional hub to anywhere in the world as an island nation. Um, And it was actually, it's been one of the the rare moments of actual unity in in terms of an issue which has become a political football, where you had all of the parties in the doll. Uh, left, right, centre, whatever, independence, plus all the airlines, plus Dublin Airport, all saying to the government, come on, man, what's happened here? Why why, why have you let this happen for so long? Even so, the
1: government saying to the government, <laughs> with members of the coalition yes.
0: putting out press releases, being like, here, government, what are you doing? Bad work, government, that I'm, you know, <laughs> meant to support.
2: real... The real question here is Will lessons be learned, folks? Will lessons Wonderful be learned? One was hopes are.
0: Maybe, and, and you know what? <laughs> Some of this will come down and they'll say that the communication wasn't good enough. <laughs> that was the real problem.
2: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. And Airbnb.
1: Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at
2: airbnb.com/slash host.
1: (laughs) Uh, I am really tickled by the idea that we could end up installing like anti-drone systems at the airport and that they might actually be so sophisticated that your like Smith's Toys or like Amazon quadcopter would be too low-tech to be picked up by them. That, like you could still end up having like airports disrupted by someone getting like an 80 or 90 quid piece of stuff that they got off aliexpress and, and that the system would be too sophisticated to even spot this little like eight bit thing knocking around like I, I don't mean to indulge in paddy wackery but that would be like maybe the most irish thing ever uh briefly before we go just on, on the topic of Eamon ryan we might as well um just mention the shellacking that he's gotten in the last couple of days for the contention that if you made public transport free um, that people might be inclined to take it for unnecessary reasons. Now, what's interesting about this is that the NTA, the National Transport Agency, or the authority, have actually put out like a study since, which seems to back up exactly what Eamon Ryan was saying. And, and they're saying that if you made all public transport free, as some people have been calling for as a, you know, a climate gesture, or particularly with the context of the debate around congestion charges, um, they say that if you made it free, then people might take the bus or the train who otherwise would walk or take the bicycle and that's what they mean about unnecessary journeys and to be honest given the weather that we've had for the last couple of days i can kind of see where they're coming from because um like you can imagine richard that if like if you were uh, on a rainy day and you ordinarily walk or take a bus or take a bike rather and if the bus or the dart is free alongside the lewis which of course famously already is free um then like you would do that and suddenly you'd get pretty heaving
0: yeah, I mean, again, there have been other other reports from other countries which would say that, you know, making public transport free actually does have a tangible benefit. I think it's it it, it just became... It came at a bad time, I think, for Eamon Ryan, as, you know, he had members of his own party obviously coming out against the eviction ban. You had all the pressure around the drones at Dublin Airport. And then you had him saying... Um, this thing about, you know, uh, don't make public transport free because it'll create unnecessary journey- journeys. I think, I think the most um, impactful thing about it all was that he was thrown under the free bus uh, by the Veradker <laughs> who says that he doesn't believe anybody would be rolling around on the dart or the bus having the crack. Uh, just for the crack <laughs> like just going from end to end <laughs> I just felt like that was such an that was such an unnecessary that. blow to a
2: you did, did yeah that. I was that's just like, so I was like that's,
0: that's that's real <sighs> nothing's going going aiming the Ryan's way at the moment um, but like if the government like such a focus of, of, of recent times has been the fact that our cities aren't great to live in Um, that they aren't commutable, they aren't walkable, and they want Cork City, and this has been a big focus of the government for the last while, to become the real growth hub of the country and become the fastest-growing city in Europe. Um, The only way to do that is to have public transport. Um, And, you know, to say this and to sort of engage in stuff which sort of says, you know, there's no point really in in incentivising public transport because, you know, it'll only be unnecessary anyway... It's, it, it does stick in the craw for a lot of people. And again, this is another thing which annoyed Green Party people. Green Party people are not having
1: a party at the moment. <laughs> no, 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 they're not. Uh, my favourite <laughs> thing of the week is that there apparently is a bus in Brussels uh, which has like mystery destination. Like it literally is the bus for necessary journeys. If you just want to get on the bus and go to a district of Brussels and not know where you're going, you take the bus that has the front, the front of it is where the route would usually be. It just says, mystery. And you don't know where you're going. And I like. I think that I. I can't. I. I would like to meet the people who would just get on the bus for crack, not knowing exactly what part of town they're going to. But like, it's a thing that they just do. And like, it maybe it's an illustration that actually unnecessary journeys are something that you ought to design into the system uh, food for thought anyway I just thought it was absolutely mad if you've ever been on uh, there's
2: a lot of hen and stag parties I was going to say there's a lot of hen and stag parties getting on those mystery tours every week so I'm, we all know someone I think the Dublin Ghost
0: bus tour needs to be free that's what I
2: say
1: alongside the Lewis
2: but I think it's just out of, like on a serious note that, like when you talk about say the weather at home there at the moment and like the idea that people might choose to get the bus instead of walk or cycle like, I mean heaven forbid somebody might want a bit of shelter in the bad weather I mean in all fairness we're they not really yet. talking about the divide between cycling and walking and getting the bus we're talking about the difference between driving your car and getting the bus surely like i mean common sense would tell you that
1: yeah you you would think so um anyway uh, we're pretty much out of time so we better let you go back to uh to sunning yourself on the west coast zara with all of your your new uh, famous <laughs> celeb pals and alexander from the ba flight uh, on the way over um you're, you're gonna be <laughs> right next week so you're gonna be able to to fill us in on all the the good oscars goss and behind the scenes stuff
2: yeah, I, I'm telling you, I'll be totally jet lagged next week, but I'll be there. I'll be there in body for sure. <laughs> no,
1: Richard. Uh, and Richard, you'll be able to fill us in on the everything that went on behind the scenes for the terrible weather in the high, high hills of Leash.
0: Yeah, I don't know where we're going to be for Friday. Um, wherever it is necessary and capable, and we are capable of traveling. But um, yeah, very much back to the
1: front lines of that our man who goes into the centre of the storm so that you don't have to Uh, news correspondents Zara King and Richard Chambers thank you thanks also to Ross to Rory and to Maxine shout out to Maxine by the way did her first live on the Virgin Media News this week you go girl Uh, nailed it Maxine delighted for you Um, thank you to all of them because uh, for everything that they've done uh, putting together this week's podcast uh, we will talk to you again next week from Richard, from Zara from myself and all the Virgin Mm. Media News team thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon